There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And again, I take for our text verses 1 to 2 there. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And we know the conversation that he had with the Lord. We looked at this last time, this private audience with the king. And we seen that Nicodemus had sought this meeting in private with Jesus. He came to him by night. Uh, at night when most people were settling down, when the time would have been quiet, when no one would have maybe been able to see him, he came and he sought an audience with Jesus. This private meeting was between him and Jesus. There's no mention that anyone else was in the room. It was just Nicodemus and Jesus. We saw that he was indeed a member of the sect of the Pharisees, a man of high rank and a man who was highly respected in fact, in John 3 and 1, he is called a ruler of the Jews. And we saw how he was not looking for the Messiah, but rather he was looking for a temporal deliverer, some great general rather than indeed what the Messiah had really come to do. He was not initially seeking for personal salvation because he believed, as we saw, that he was uh, able to come into the kingdom of God as one of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was looking not for deliverance from sin, but he was looking deliverance from the Romans, the occupiers, those who had conquered their land and were making them pay tributes and enforcing their laws on them. So that's what he was looking deliverance from. And we looked at how he thought that if Jesus was the Messiah, that this was going to happen. There was going to be some kind of military conflict and they would be delivered from the Romans. But we also noted something that Jesus said to him and John the Baptist said to him. They said the kingdom of God is or was at hand. And he would have heard this. And either he heard it personally or else he heard others saying that we were on the mount and we heard this wonderful uh, teacher called Jesus and he told us the kingdom of God is at hand. Then when we went out under the Jordan to, to John the Baptist, he spoke of how the kingdom of God was at hand. And so you can get his train of thought here that he came to see was this the actual Messiah as far as he was concerned? Was he the one that was going to deliver them from the Romans? But you know, Jesus knew his heart, knew his motives when he came to see him. And Jesus told him what he needed to hear. He wanted to hear that they were going to be delivered. But what he needed to hear was the truth of the gospel. And this is why I've entitled this one, The Truth from the King. Jesus knew his heart and told him that to enter this coming kingdom, in John 3 and 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And one thing uh, I know we've pointed out in the past, but let us emphasize it again. Every time Jesus uses these words, verily, verily, or a better translation, I'm told is truly, truly, it was he was about to say something that you needed to take note of. Uh, it was letting his listeners know that everything he was talking about is going to all be within this next statement, and you need to listen to it. And what Nicodemus needed to hear, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we also seen how this challenged his views, Nicodemus' views on the kingdom of God. To turn around, to change your heart, and to change your mind. As we've seen, Nicodemus believed that part of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were already children of the kingdom because of the merits of Abraham. And he could not conceive what change was necessary for him to make for the Jews to, uh, uh, to secure their sharing of the kingdom protection and its privileges. He was keeping the law. He kept it as a Pharisee. We know that he would have kept the law rigorously. And again, he thought as the seed uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he was in the kingdom. So, so what change would he needed to have made? In his eyes, he was already there. He could not conceive this. You see, the concept which Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about meant that a Jew would have to have a complete internal change and to be able to enter, to be able to enter into the Messiah's kingdom. He needed to change. It wasn't enough that he kept the law. It's important that he kept the law, but it wasn't enough that he kept the law because it didn't earn him his salvation. And what we need to realize, uh, this happens to many people today when they come to this realization, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to their lifetime of learning and a core belief. And many have struggled with that. Remember hearing the testimony of a, an evangelist, he was a minister brought up in, let's say, one of the four main churches. And he said that his his belief, it was a complete challenge to everything he had learned from he was a boy. You know, learning the scriptures and being a good person and, and wanting to serve God as a minister. And that challenge came to him. And it was hard for him because it was a, a lifetime of learning. Where, where did it go? He said, why did I not see this? Why was I not taught this? Was his, was his attitude to this? See, Jesus knew that this was a challenge. Jesus knew that Nicodemus was finding this difficult to swallow. And so he reiterated, reiterated the truth. In verse 11, again, truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. And again, we have this truly, truly. In other words, Nicodemus, listen to what I'm going to say to you. This is important, Nicodemus. You need to take it in. Nicodemus was an intelligent man. And he was telling them that, that he needed to hear this. We, it is probable that we include John the Baptist who also taught repentance and change of mind. And so that Jesus was reiterating this, strengthening this, uh, and aligning with, with his teaching on the new birth. He was seeking to bring uh, Nicodemus out of his inconsistency. As Nicodemus had already stated that he recognized Jesus as a great teacher sent from God. And he admitted that John the Baptist was a prophet. 
And yet what Jesus told him, uh, what they knew to be true, instead of receiving it, he doubted it. He doubted it. And he hesitated. And he challenged. In one breath, he recognized Jesus as a great teacher. And this recognition that Jesus was a great teacher, he came to be taught. But what he was being taught did not sit well with him. And he challenged it. And he challenged, instead of receiving it, he doubted it. And he questioned the Lord. Jesus reminded him that he had come to Jesus seeking to understand the nature of the kingdom of God, uh, the, the Messiah's kingdom. And he asked, how are you ever going to receive the truth which challenged everything you believed as a Jew, as an expert in the law? So this inward change, it blew everything his religious life had taught him. It blew it, as we would say, out of the water. And so we got to understand Nicodemus and not be too cruel on him as we read about him. Because here was someone who had a definite love for God. Of that, there's no doubt. A loving man. And again, a man who revered God. But you know something? This change could only be affected by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. To enjoy its blessings, to understand its nature, Nicodemus and everyone else needed to put off the old and put on the new. To put off the old and put on the new. In John 3 and 12, it said, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall, I believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This man was once so keen to learn from a recognized teacher, as I've said. In his own words, he said this, that Jesus was a man of God, yet he was a stumbling block. And Nicodemus was hesitant to go forward. When you think of it, it doesn't say, but he could have taken it as an insult. I've served God, I've kept the law, now you're telling me I have to repent? I have to change my ways? He had seen and heard, as we seen of the, we read of the great things that Jesus had done, and there's no doubt that he genuinely wanted to know and understand. But you know, in our quest for knowledge, sometimes we go wanting to confirm what we believe. You know, have you ever had someone come and question you about something, and after talking to them, you know rightly that they're look, just looking you to, to, to justify how they feel or to justify what they believe. And this is what Nicodemus could have went to Jesus to, to, to hear, to be justified in the life he was living. But Jesus said, but Jesus who... who you who are speaking the truth, you're saying things which are against everything that I believe. And that thing is, you are using the word of God and what you are saying cannot be, cannot be contradicted from the word of God. You see, Nicodemus couldn't say to him, now hold on a wee minute, you know, have you read Isaiah the prophet? Because he knew rightly what Jesus was saying was from Isaiah the prophet, was from Elijah, was from the Psalms. His reason, we know, for coming to speak with Jesus was confirmation of what he wanted to hear, not contradicting what he believed. And the message of repentance was taken and preached by the apostles. And we understand, therefore, the opposition, or we understand more the opposition uh, that they received from the Jews. Because they weren't all like Nicodemus, who was willing to hear. 
They were violated in their minds. They were insulted in their minds. And this is why they hated them, because they were telling them that they, not just the Gentiles, they needed to repent. John told them they needed to repent. Jesus reiterates it when he tells them they need to repent. To enjoy the full blessing of salvation, not just Nicodemus, not just the Jews. Every man, woman, and child needs a thorough change of nature, mind, and heart. That is necessary. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you ever considered that, church? If any man be in Christ. That's kind of like a marker. I mean, we know that for someone to be a Christian, it's not just to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's to be displaying the fruits of the Spirit. Because Jesus himself said, many will come to me and, and say, did I not speak in tongues? Did I not prophesy? Did I not pray and see people healed? And Jesus said, apart from me, I never knew you. They need to display the fruits of the Spirit. That's one of the markers of being a Christian. But here's a marker here. If any man be in Christ, if, in other words, you are one of my children, if you are a Christian, then all things have passed away. And all things are new. Your heart has changed. Your attitude has changed. Your ability to forgive has changed if you are in Christ. And if it hasn't changed, then I can only quote you the Word of God. In fact, you need to look at it yourself and ask yourself, well, am I then in Christ? If the old things of my life haven't passed away. You see, the difficulty for mankind is found in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And this is what I always mean about the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. When you're talking to men, they're, they're listening for, with natural wisdom. They're listening with what we call human rationale. But when God comes upon them, they can receive the truth. They're no longer foolishness. They're able to know them. It's before I was saved, church, I just didn't have a clue about needing to be saved. I knew of Jesus, but I didn't know who he really was. Things I learned in the boys' brigade, things I learned in Sunday school, yes, they stuck with me. But I didn't know Jesus was God manifest in flesh. I didn't really realize that he died on the cross for my sins. I always thought that you'd be a good person, go to church, give your money in, and you'd be okay. And believe me, church, from the many, many funerals I have been at and officiated at, there are people out there and they're delusional with the greatest respect because everybody's up in heaven apparently looking down on us. But not according to the word of God because they are natural men and they cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. And to receive them, they need the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ, in Christ Jesus. What for? Unto good works with God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, these are the markers laid down for us to recognize someone who is in Christ. And Nicodemus could maybe, although we know this wasn't written when Nicodemus was there with Jesus, but he would have known these things. 
in the sense that the, the, the good works, and he would have did the good works. But now he was hearing they're not enough. They're not enough. You must be born again. It was once stated that if Jesus had have asked Nicodemus to state his opinion on the kingdom of God, he may have said, like David, the king of Israel, the son of man, the Messiah, the prince, shall be lifted up, exalted to a glorious throne, that all Jewish people may be delivered from degradation, slavery, and raised to dignity, wealth, and power. The Jews uh, stated that they alone had God's favor and blessing. They alone had God's favor and blessing. They believed that when the Messiah came, the Gentile peoples would become tributaries to Israel. But Jesus said that the Messiah would be lifted up, but not as David to a throne, but as a serpent in the wilderness was lifted up on a pole for the deliverance of Israel. That's how he was to be lifted up. They were expecting this glorious throne, this glorious warrior. They were expecting all nations that were <clears throat> going to be tributaries to Israel. And they were going to live a life of ease, a life of blessing. For the Messiah would deliver them once and for all from their enemies. But you know, their greatest enemy, only Jesus could deliver them from. And that is sin and the power of Satan in their lives. You know, scholars tell us that the, the translation of that phrase there, lifted up, is a, a feeble rendering. And they say a better rendering would be placed on high. Placed on high. Lifted up and exalted on, uh, on high, but looked up to. Looked up to. Excuse me. Jesus was lifted up, not for men's temporal deliverance, but for their everlasting salvation, that they might not perish but have everlasting life. You see, salvation was not inherited by being a Jew, but by repenting, turning around, and believing that Jesus was and is the Messiah. When we talk about him being lifted up, yes, he was lifted up on the cross, but what it means is all men will look up to him for deliverance. All men will look up to him for deliverance. There aren't many roads. There's not many doors. There's not many ways into the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to it. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, through him. By repenting, by turning around and believing that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And of course, we have that wonderful uh, verses as we go on into John 3. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There we see what God did for mankind. This is what Jesus was revealing to Nicodemus. And man's role, Nicodemus, was that you have to repent and you have to turn. He was telling Nicodemus that the motivation that, that, that made God do what he did was love for mankind. God so loved the world. God's motivation for us and for the things he does for us is his love for us. That he gave his only begotten son. He gave, God gave of himself. God gave of himself. That word begotten is monogenesis and it means a unique one, a separate one. He gave of himself. Why? That whosoever whosoever, 
Another bitter pill to swallow. You mean the Gentiles can be saved? Yes, they can. That whosoever believeth in him, no matter what color they are, no matter what country they're from, no matter if they're rich, no matter if they're poor, that word whosoever means whosoever. Believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This again was a challenge to the Jewish way of life because they would have nothing to do with anyone who wasn't a Jew. And here they're being told that anyone can come into the kingdom of God if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it goes on in the verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world through him might be saved. The world, the world, again, a challenge. And it's still a challenge today. You know, I've heard people tell me uh, in my last job when I was working and you were in one particular area, I remember one guy uh, said to me that all Catholics are going to burn in hell and all the prods are going to heaven. And then when I was on the other side of the city, all the Catholics are going to heaven and all the prods are going to burn in hell. You know something? Religion won't save you. The Lord Jesus Christ will save you. The Lord Jesus Christ will save Catholics if they believe in him. The Lord Jesus Christ will save Protestants if they believe in him. He will save Jews if they believe in him. He will save Hindus if they believe in him. He will save uh, Muslims if they believe in him and has done and will continue to do it. But men need to know something today. And I believe the church is failing. And I'm talking about the church worldwide. I'm going to say something, but listen before you want to stone me here in the context of what I'm saying, okay? That's made you nervous, hasn't it? One of the greatest evangelists of our time was Billy Graham. Of that, there's no doubt. That man has hundreds, of, if not thousands of testimonies of people he received through his ministry. And if you remember when we had Jay Louder over here, I can't remember the man's name, but one of his team came about three or four days before him and he trained our, our volunteers. I can't remember his name. I wish I could, but he's a wonderful man. Great man of God. One of the nicest men I've ever met. I remember having lunch with him and him talking to me about Billy Graham. And there was always criticism of Billy, Billy Graham that, you know, put your hand up. And uh, the criticism was, you know, it's, it's more than putting your hand up. But he assured me that there was teams there and everybody that put their hand up was taken aside and told they needed to repent. They were spoken to. They weren't just, right, pray, you're a Christian. But sadly today, church, because of what church has seen Billy Graham do, they've taken it wrong. There's many places throughout the world today where people are told, you want to be a Christian, put your hand up. Amen. God forgive you for your sins, you're a Christian. Church, the truth is we need to tell them they need to repent. They need to turn around. There needs to be a change in your life. Men today, and I speak to myself also, can get too comfortable in the house of the Lord because we know Jesus died for us. And therefore, I believe he died for us. I'm a Christian. Church, I need to repent. I need to turn around. I need my life changed and if my life is not changed, then I'm a hypocrite. 
I live a life of hypocrisy. If I still think the way I used to think, if I still uh, treat people the way I would have once treated people, if I still hold grudges the way I used to hold grudges, then I haven't repented. But God in his mercy, when we do repent, forgives us, folks. But I think the church today, there's people coming into churches worldwide, there's churches packed with people who've put their hands up, and that's it, you're a Christian. They need to be taught repentance. You can't live a life uh, doing something that God said is wrong. That's the Bible speaking. That's not me speaking. That's not me being a holy Joe and beating you with a Bible here. That's the word of God. If I'm living an immoral life and I say I'm a Christian and I pray, I have to stop living the immoral life. And if I don't stop living the immoral life, then I haven't been convicted by the Holy Ghost. Pastor Connolly, later Pastor Connolly, later Pastor McCulloch, when Jean and I prayed with them in their room, they didn't need to tell me I needed to change. That's why we were both in that room, because even Jean knew I needed to change. I needed something different in my life. And thank God there were two godly men who told me to repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the good news is, church, the Messiah was sent by God. And he came not to condemn us, but that the world through him might be saved. That they should not perish. God does not want you to perish. People talk about how can a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell by the way. Men condemn themselves by refusing to accept Jesus as their Savior. It's like you saying to me that it's my fault if someone died in a burning car and if I told them to get out, they didn't get out. That's not my fault. They stayed in the car. And if someone, I believe, enters a lost eternity, well, then they've entered a lost eternity because they have rejected God, not because God has rejected them. He was lifted up as a brazen serpent, was lifted up in the wilderness. He was lifted up that all men might look unto Jesus. We're looking for peace in our lives. We're looking for joy in our lives. We're looking for a change in our lives. Religion won't fill that gap. The ways of the world definitely won't fill that gap. They're broken cisterns. But the well of our salvation brings everlasting peace and joy and refreshment when we look up to him. We have to believe in the divine revelation of who Jesus was. And when we see who he was, we see the true love of God. But you know, we, we hear people quote this at uh, verse 16. But there's a bit in it they tend to leave out, or they tend not to say, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But listen, please listen, if you've heard nothing else I say this morning. That says whoever believes in him shall not perish. But what it also says is if you do not believe, you will perish. You will perish. That's God's word. Whosoever believeth in him, not believe that he existed, not believe that he was a good man, believe that he was their savior. He died for their sins. And because he died for your sins, you want to turn from your ways and become a new creature in Christ. 
that you may be acceptable through him. You're not going to be acceptable through your own merits or through your own love, but you're going to be acceptable to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Nicodemus was told. Nicodemus, I mean, I'm making these words up. Nicodemus, you are a good man. Nicodemus, you're a loving man. Nicodemus, you've served the best you can. But Nicodemus, you need to repent. You need to turn. You need a change of heart and dedicate your life to God through Jesus Christ, not through the sacrifices. You know, it's sad today, church. Uh, a lot of articles you can read in social media about this third temple. Apparently, they're near enough ready to build it. And of all the, this is futurism, by the way, of all the tools and everything they need for the sacrifices. And the, the thing that amazes me, evangelicals, well-known evangelists from America mainly, they are funding this. And I keep thinking to myself, what on earth do you need another animal sacrifice for when the Lamb of God was slain? Amen? What do you need a third temple for when Jesus is building his church? of living stones fitly framed together to form a holy habitation for him. Church, that sacrifice was once and for all. And I think Jesus deserves this morning our love. And we show our love by turning to him, by turning around to serve him. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. I don't think there's a person in this room who's made more mistakes than I've made in my life. But I know the forgiving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows true sorrow and true repentance. And I think he's calling, not just Glenn Mack, and I think he's calling the church worldwide to repentance. We can be so, come on, uh, musicians come back. We can be so lost in trying to get people in here. And that's what we should be doing. But you know something? We need to tell them the truth when they do come in. You need to repent you need to change and you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Let's stand in God's presence. Thank you for your attention this morning. And let's just worship the Lord together as the praise team.